December 7th, a date which will live in infamy. This is our Everest. Greetings, culture vultures, and welcome to This Is Our Christmas Everest, the podcast where neither of us is particularly sure what we're going to say. I, I don't know what day of the week it is. No. I don't know what day of the month it is. I, well, actually, I know what day of the month it is, because... This is an advent calendar. Yeah, it's like ticking off the lines, prison wall. Yeah, it's a little bit... Another one down. Another one down. This episode deals with the oldest programme that we've ever done, the Apple Yards. I'm fairly certain it's the oldest programme we will ever do. Well, it's quite possible. If we go back before this... Yeah, we're doing very well. We are doing it for the sake of doing it, because it's a completely different standard, you know, up up before the mid-50s. Mm. You're holding it to. You've just got to hold it to a completely different standard. If you don't know what the Apple Yards are, and um, you're in good company, why the hell would you? Why the hell would you? It was a fortnightly children's soap opera slash sitcom made by the BBC, which broadcast between 1952 and 1957. The episode that we're watching is from the 29th of December 1956. Not necessarily through choice, but because due to the unique way that the BBC is funded, this is the only episode of the Apple Yards still in existence. Yeah. There were 68 episodes of the Apple Yards made. There's one left. Yeah. And it was very popular. There's always always an asterisk. Yeah, that we know of. Could always turn up somewhere. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't be expecting this to... It's before home video recorders, so yeah, it would yeah. have to be an acetate or something in someone's shed, um, it? Yeah, just yeah, something that's been slung out. But um, the policy, obviously, at the time was to wipe and reuse. But it's not because it wasn't particularly popular. As far as I'm aware, this was quite popular. Uh, although it was a children's programme, it was also quite popular amongst adults and families because the Apple Yards dealt with family life there was also an adult version of it oh what the apple yards after not, not dark. an adult like no <laughs> uh like a a, a more grown-up soap opera okay so is that, that it was kind of it was kind of twinned with is that when john margaret and tommy have gone to bed and uh george george no, and mary no, just no, no, running no, 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 like no, no, stags this is still the BBC of Lord Wreath. Oh, yeah, I, don't, I, uh, I can't imagine that anything like that would have been going on on his watch. Well, if it had been, I'm pretty sure they would have kept it as well. <laughs> I mean, it is a piece of television history. It is. It is a Christmas episode. It is. This is probably about as far back as I'm prepared to Do you want to, to know, know. know an interesting Apple Yards fact? Go on. As I say, it was fortnightly. When it was transmitted, it was transmitted on Thursday afternoons live. Yes. They did it live. And then on Sunday, there was a repeat. But it wasn't a repeat recording. Yes. The same cast performed the same episode again. Yeah. I like that. Mm. 
But it also meant, of course, that there was no recording of it kept. Yeah, that that has actually um, tainted its legacy somewhat. Which is how we came to get to this place. But there is one episode, and here it is. The Apple Yards. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it, it's a very strange experience. This episode, as you said, is from December 1956. I wasn't born. So it was, you know, 16 years before I was born. Hang on a minute. Let me do the maths. And if you think about it, 16 years isn't that long. No, that's very true. You know what I mean? And it's strange. It's odd, is what it is. It's very uneventful. Um, Yeah, it's... uh, it's it's nothing happens in it that couldn't conceivably happen to any family, really. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that really struck me right at the very beginning of it, and I think this kind of carried on throughout it, was that it was performed as though there was a studio audience there. Yes. When there wasn't a studio audience there. I think this is the thing, isn't it, with live performances? Yeah, there were these lengthy pauses after lines yeah which made it all you know gave it very unnatural sort of stilted feel you've probably seen those videos of the big bang theory without the laughter track <laughs> yeah it's on youtube i think and there are these almighty gaps yeah at the end of each sentence at the end of each joke which is where the studio audience fills in and this has those gaps after somebody's delivered a line and you get the feeling that it might have been intended for a studio audience, which for some reason or somehow never came about. I don't know. I'm just gonna run quickly run through the uh, the events of this episode. There aren't for, there aren't there aren't a lot. Uh, the Apple Yards, as, as we say, is a family. Uh, there's Father George, Mother Mary, and then the children John, who I don't think lives at home anymore. He's got a wife and uh, all sorts. Margaret. The middle daughter and Skivvy in training, and Tommy, uh, who is I don't know how old he is, he's old enough to be out working and he wears a suit, mm. yeah, and, and and looks like Kevin De Bruyne. He does, yeah. Now, it's a few days after Christmas, there's a fug of reality returning to the Apple Yard's house, and mother is complaining about having to tidy up, and father's having to go back to work. Tommy. Is trying to pep everybody up, and as such, yeah. has got them tickets for the pantomime. The pantomime yeah. turns out to be a very popular choice amongst all of their friends and neighbours, and they end up with about 20 people in a box. Yeah, I mean, I wrote down, I hope they show this terrible pantomime. <laughs> well, you, you got lucky, because they did show the terrible pantomime. <laughs> they And, and didn't they just? And didn't they just, in, in all of its full... It's slightly strange theatre. I mean, it looked like a village hall, but that some someone yeah. had put a presidential box in. Yeah. But anyway, they went to the pantomime. The pantomime was terrible. Was it, though? Well, I, I think it was supposed to be terrible. It was difficult to tell. I mean, by the standards of 1956, it was looked pretty good. I thought it was pretty good. Um, there was a dancing tiger. Yep. There was. Right. There was a racist magician. A racist magician. I'm not sure. I think I think that this guy was um, was browned up. I, I think it, it yeah, kind I of looked so. looked like it from the 
Obviously, it's black and white, so it's difficult to tell for certain. But he, but you know, in any case, but the racist magician, he's doing a, and he's doing a weird accent yeah, as well, yeah. isn't he? Which can't quite work out what, no. you know, it can't quite work out what country it's from. And then he does like kind of half a magic trick, and uh, just slips into like a Cockney accent for a minute, and it's like, well, make your mind up, mate. <laughs> I am Abu Ben Bafresh, leader of all the robots. They have made me their leader because I am such a magnificent magician. And I have come here tonight, secretly, to perform me magical tricks. Thank you very much. Now then, for my first trick tonight, I shall need the assistance of one small boy and girl from the audience, please. Uh, One small boy and girl. The racist magician causes the downfall of the Apple Yard's pantomime because Tommy is pulled up on stage reluctantly mm-hmm. because by now he is absolutely without any festive cheer having mm. put his family through this ordeal it's worth pointing out that the central premise here is that um the older brother isn't it drops around their house and yes. says look I just read the reviews of this pantomime and it sounds terrible yeah. So they cook up this kind of slightly ridiculous scheme, which is that they'll all pretend to enjoy it. <laughs> this and they'll is... laugh heartily at every joke. And the thing is, that it's like, you are aware he's going to be there as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do they think he's going to be immune to it? I well, mean, if it is that bad, and if it... What the hell? Maybe they think that his eternal sort of level of cheerfulness was a clear sign that he was an idiot and an imbecile and that he it's, wouldn't notice that it, it wasn't very good. Oh, right. I thought you were going to say, like, is this, is this what Protestantism is? Well, I know that you this have is an infinite, you, have an, you have a finite amount of happiness and every time you do something that feels nice, you chip away at Look, it. So it's like having a savings account. Being a Protestant is always fun oh. for someone okay. and that is a fact <laughs> All right, fair enough. there was quite a lot of that going on in the show wasn't there sort of people hatching little plans it was very um, Tommy and Tommy and John were hiding things in their coat from their parents and then John was hiding the reviews from Tommy and then the next door neighbour who was their best friend turned up unexpectedly at the end after they'd been chucked out of the pantomime for well, the magician put one of Tommy's pound notes in an envelope, planning on mag- magically burning it and then restoring it. Mm-hmm. But Tommy, the idiot that he is, jumped the gun and set fire to the thing himself, thus ruining the trick <laughs> and burning the pound note. You don't see the which I quite like as a device. You don't see the unseemly brawl that ensued, mm. but it was sufficient to get him chucked out. Yeah, yeah. And then when Ronnie turns up. Who I'm I'm not sure where he's been. I'm, I broke down. I assume that he's just got back from Suez, but this being 1956 and all. But he said, uh, uh, "It's you know so nice to be back as a treat. I've got you all tickets for." The pantomime. Oh. The big punchline. Credits roll, credits. Yeah. and I say credits roll. Actually, they <laughs> they're just they're just read out by a, th- a thrummy voiced bloke yeah. 
as the cast stand on stage eating fish and chips and try not Oops. to look like they're yeah, bored. Yeah, yeah. I've never seen anything quite like it. That kind of voiceover for the closing credits yeah. is a case in yeah. point. I mean, that's just basically, you know, they're just doing what they used to do on the radio. And still do. Who got this idea of putting the names in graphics on the screen? That is a, that is a very good point. So, um, it kind of makes sense, but at the same time, the whole thing looks so odd. The play itself is absolutely beyond comprehension. But obviously, I mean, you know, with my jaded 21st century eyes, that's kind of a good thing, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, I mean, the play, the uh, pantomime, it's very low rent. As I say, it looks a bit like a village hall. It looks a bit like an asbestos risk. Mm. I guarantee there is something in that building that's causing tumours. Yeah. They all go in the box. They have to, essentially, they have to bribe the usherette, who is the mother of the proprietor of the theatre, mm. because they've got one too many people going in the box. Yeah. Well, you know, sa- safety be damned. Just yeah, pile, a, pile a few more in here. And then the uh, lead actor comes on, playing Dick Whittington, as you might expect in Dick Whittington. There's no, there's no scenery. No. The, no. There's just a, pl- a plain backdrop. Because you're watching from the box as well, so you're looking down on it. Yeah. And that means that it loses any effect that it might have if you were looking at it at something approaching eye level. I think one of the things that I particularly enjoyed was how quickly the scales fell from Tommy's eyes. Well, I don't... About, about what a good idea this is going to be to cheer everybody up. I don't get why they took the attitude that we'll... Oh, well, we'll just laugh anyway. That's such yeah. a bad I mean... idea. Props to their friend, Mr. Spiller. Yeah. An elderly gentleman who laughed so hard, I thought a couple of times that he might just drop dead, either in the narrative or in real life. Yeah, no, or, you know, one inevitably leads to the other. Well, There's yeah. There's no sure a coat in something like that happening on camera, is there? Alive. No, no. By about midway through the pantomime, one of their friends, Charlie who's wearing a duffel coat at all times, like the beatnik that he obviously aspires to be, buggered off to the cinema. Yeah. And the Appleyard family are grudgingly joining in with the singing, Mm -hmm. which rang very true for me in my experience of pantomime, Mm -hmm. because I hate pantomimes. Um, I don't really understand why the English dote on them, so. Um, I get it. Really? Yeah, it's something you can take uh, the kids to. And you know they'll throw in jokes for the parents as well. They probably won't be very funny, but you appreciate the effort. It's all stuff that you know. It's, you know, he's behind what? you, all that, all the call and answer. Oh, it's, God, it's, 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 just... you know, it's just a bunch of conventions, isn't it? It's like a... Yeah. Rubbish conventions. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I, I haven't been to a pantomime, I don't think, since I was a teenager. Don't get me wrong. Now I'm trying to think when I was last at one. Yeah. Probably, probably a similar sort of time. But, I mean, one of the great joys of my life is that I don't have issue. And therefore, the chances are I'll never have to go to another pantomime. And I've relished that. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'll, I'll probably have to. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, you will. Oh, yeah, I mean, I'm all right with that. You know. Well, there's yeah, I mean, you ways. don't hate pantomimes. Yeah, there's worse ways you could spend an afternoon, I think. Oh, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't dispute that. But I can't think of any offhand when I'm on my way to a pantomime. Yeah, well. I mean, obviously, you know, root canal surgery... Um, car accident. Mm. Okay. <laughs> um, nuclear war. All of these yeah. things are worse we, than a pantomime. We haven't, but... we haven't touched on the song yet. Oh yeah, the song. No, we do need to deal with the song. I am the weatherman, you know, you've seen me on TV. I read the forecast every night and then I laugh with glee. Tomorrow's out of fair, warm, no fear of frost or fog. But when tomorrow comes, it's always raining cats and dog. Now, there's a very, very nice little chorus that goes with this. I'd like you all to join in. The words are quite simple, so listen carefully. <clears throat> Oh, woof, 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 meow, meow, meow. Let it rain, let it fall, I never worry now. Come rain or shine, come hail or sleep, prepared I always am. With dust and losses and the death, I'm the weatherman. Which obviously was all the better for just its first two lines, which were woof, woof. Meow, 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 meow. Yeah, the the song was incredible for that, and then it, but then it went off into a, it it tried to tell a story, and and it, it and that was a bit that you know if they if they just stuck to the first two lines, had they allowed that song to take its course from its first couple of lines, maybe, you know, we wouldn't even have needed the Beatles. Conceivably, that said, that said, Elvis the pelvis does get a mention. He does. Um, George, who is singing along with the song, and he's forced to do a solo, which, as far as I'm concerned, all of those things that I mentioned as possibly being worse than a pantomime would become preferable to it if I were in George's situation and they were singling me out to sing yeah. in front of everyone. Yeah. Even if... Even if the first lines were meow, meow, woof, woof, woof. Um, woof, woof, meow, 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 meow. You see, I can't even remember the lines. Although, obviously, if I were there, I would have them written down. But it was interesting that after the song, there seemed to be a change that came over the Appleyard family. Though I think it was a sort of a Stockholm syndrome. The halfway smart thing to do would have been to say, look... I've heard the reviews for this are terrible, so I think we should just enjoy it for being terrible. You know, so bad it's good. I mean, surely they did that in the 1950s. Did they do that in the 1950s? I have no idea. Uh, I mean, I guess so. It's, I mean, it's it's so far away, isn't it? It's difficult to to know whether or not that sort of enjoying something for ironic purposes was still a thing. Nor is it clear whether, you know, what would be considered to, you know, be so bad that you had to enjoy it ironically. Yeah. It's it's such, as you say, it's so alien and it seems so uneventful. There's nothing out of the ordinary that really grabs you, is there? There's nothing, there's no hook. Like in a modern situation comedy, even a family one, there will be some sort of hook of 
a ridiculous thing that happened, a really exaggerated. Well, I mean, if that's maybe that's what it was, maybe that's what that pantomime is, or what it was supposed to be. If that's true, and it's just that it's so much more tame because it's 1956. Britain must have been a dismal place in 1956. I'm fairly certain it was. You know, everything that I hear about the 1950s says to me, "I tell you what, you don't want to go back to that." It, I mean, it just seems bleak. One of the things that I was particularly looking forward to, uh, and we, that we never reached because Tommy was gleefully burning all of his money on stage, was that he was going to take them all out for supper. Yeah. A slap-up meal in a restaurant in 1956 in England. Yeah. That's some shit I want to see. I want to see what they're going to eat, what they're going to order, what the restaurant is like, because I imagine it was basically like a naffy well they live in the home counties don't yeah. they so that's my neck of the woods it's not established what part but i would assume probably suburbs of london or what is now the suburbs of london middlesex hertfordshire i'm calling it now go on Rislip. Rislip. Home of Sue Cook. Yeah, I mean, the thing is that it depends on where they went. Now, if this place that they went to, or the town that they live in, is big enough to support a theatre, then I think that might be bigger than Rislip. I don't know. Maybe there's a theatre in Rislip. Who knows? Maybe they all went... Because they got a taxi. Maybe they all went up west. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, right, okay, St Albans got a theatre. Yeah. But, I mean, St Albans has got a cathedral, so that's not a huge surprise. I can also give you a vague idea of what it would have been like inside a restaurant in a town like that in 1956. And the reason I can do that... Is it because you live in Worthing? No, is the Water End (laughs) Barn. Okay. The Water End Barn is a pub right slap bang in the middle of St Albans. It's um, kind of just tucked in behind, between the main shopping street, St Peter's Street, and the council offices, which are just behind it. And there's a little pedestrian bit through there and a little multi-storey car park. And... Tucked in the corner of there is this pub called the Walter End Barn. And it's like got a kind of, it's really old. It's from like the 14th century or something. It's 15th century or whatever. And it's got one of those big roofs made of fucking twigs or something. <laughs> that, that place has been there since the beginning of time, so far as I'm aware. And it was there. It's still there now. It's a pub now. I've got, I've got a feeling that they might have turned it into like a kind of neon-like place, you know, where where there's strobes and things. But in the 1980s, that place was a restaurant. And we used to go there, and I can remember it. And I'll tell you something, that would have been about 19... probably about 1982 through to about 1986 or seven. And that place had not fucking changed in 30 years. Yeah. So it was all wood panel on the inside with these big wooden beams across the middle of it. And it was set out like a carvery, but it wasn't a carvery. So it was almost like a canteen. There's no table service. And you had to walk up. The, The chairs and the tables were all at one end. And then about a third of the space 
was taken up with this big U-shaped kind of cantina you had to walk around. And so on the left-hand side, if you're walking towards it, the first bit you get to, it will be like kind of roasts. And they'll be doing cotton chips or something like that. And then along the back, there'll be like salads and maybe... You know, some, there'll be a fridge with a half a dozen half-hearted looking yogurts and a and a oh. couple of bottles of still water. Oh god! And then and then there'll be a, a you know somebody sitting at a cash register at the end of it. Oh god! With a fag hanging out the corner of that. And mouth. these places were so strange. They seemed to be trying to recall a point in history that was only enjoyed by a, like a few dozen people. If the yeah. Walter End Barn actually was anything like the interior of the Walter End Barn made it look in the 1980s, then that place was for fucking no woman only. <laughs> and the yeah. hoi polloi wouldn't have been in there having fucking cotton chips and spilling their peas all over the carpet. The, the Apple Yards may still have been in there. So I reckon it would have been somewhere like that. I, 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 a push. Because the thing about these places was they were also furiously expensive. They did not, they, they did not have the luxury or, you know, of, of competition or much competition. So there was nobody there to force their prices down at the end oh, of the God. day. Jesus this country. It's a terrible argument. It's a terrible argument because it's an argument at the end of the day for capitalism. But that really is the truth of the matter. These places were shit and they were shit because they could get away with being shit. We yep. didn't know any better and there wasn't really any significant competition. I hate saying that. I hate saying that. And I'm not saying that that's anything, you know, what it would be like in my socialist utopia. Go back to our episode about Delia Smith, though. You know? Yeah. That woman changed this country for the better in in a way that few other people have done. And the thing is that food in this country was terrible. And it was terrible yep. for a really long time. So you're right to question what a slap-up meal in the 1950s would have looked like. Because I'm mm. almost certain that w- that it would have looked pretty dreadful. I it mean, definitely, was... definitely would have had peas. Yeah, I mean, there was still, um, you know, there was still rationing until the, what, 55, 56? Was probably, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah I would think so. Just, probably just finished. About... I think the, the rationing of certain things yeah. carried on until maybe the early 60s, even. The point is that it would have been dreadful food and everybody involved, you know. But they'd have enjoyed it. That's the thing, you see. Well, yeah, because it would have been better than what swill they got home. Yeah, the whole thing is dependent on the edifice that they don't know any better. One impressive feature of the Apple Yards, none of the actors in it ever seem to have done anything else of any note whatsoever. No. In fact, if you look at the Apple Yards on IMDb, I think it's only one or two of the main cast even have a photograph, which is uh, always a bad sign. Mm-hmm. I was looking at them and thinking, well, there's bound to be somebody here who is either used to be a big deal or is going to go on to be a big deal. None of it. 
not a dicky bird. <laughs> uh, now, I can't speak for any of the other 67 episodes of the Apple Yards, thanks to the BBC. But it doesn't seem to have been a, a grounding area for up-and-coming talent. I mean, no. wouldn't it, be, would it would have been great to see Geoffrey Palmer strut his stuff well, across <laughs> the stage, wouldn't it? Yeah. I, I I thought it was an interesting historical curio. Yeah, I didn't particularly enjoy it. And it can't be anything else. I kind of did enjoy it. I didn't particularly enjoy it, but I didn't dislike it either. Yeah. And I'm very glad that I watched it, even if it was... I, I'm glad I watched it in the same way that I'm glad that I went to bygones museums. Yeah. It's nice to have a look back sometimes, just as a little reminder that actually the future and and the present isn't always as bad as... Doesn't have to be. Doesn't have to be. Doesn't have to be. What was your festive highlight from the Apple Yards? Um, my festive highlight from the Apple Yards is probably the fact that when he goes out, <laughs> when the family goes out... Yeah. They both switch all the lights off and leaves the front door unlocked. <laughs> just ah, they were the days. Just switch, switch, yeah. Hit the lights, sh- slam the door shut, and I was peering at it. I was like, "That needs a lock. That needs a lock in it, definitely." <laughs> well, n- not in those days. I mean, as anyone, as anyone who's completely delusional will tell you, you didn't have to lock your door back in the old days. Yeah, so that was probably my favourite moment. My favourite festive moment. Was the song in the pantomime? Yeah, my fest- favourite festive moment was the clearly designated gender roles on display at the beginning when Mother turned to Margaret and said, "Right, come on, then we've got to sort all this out." Mm. And I just thought, "Fucking hell!" Because I mean, 1956 for me. I wait if you to say those were the days. Well, no, they—they, they, I mean, obviously they weren't the days. They were shit days. But 1956 for me has a special resonance and interest because it's the year that my mother was born. So it was interesting to see what kind of a world that she was born into, and I wasn't surprised. I wasn't surprised, but I was disappointed. Right. But that was my festive highlight. Okay. That you know, while all the men ponced about <laughs> smoking cigars and drinking brandy and having mistresses, the uh, the wives and daughters, because the daughter was just essentially a chattel, wasn't she, until you managed to get her married off. Mm-hmm. I God believe almighty. that, yeah. But there you go. Fucking apple yards. Yeah. One yard of apple. That's three feet of apples. I reckon that's about... 90 centimetres. I reckon you get about four apples to a foot. So a yard, call a yard 12 apples. You line them side by side, you know. I mean, obviously it depends what sort of apples you get. Tomorrow. Yes. Return of the Harris. It is second appearance for the Harris. The Keith Harris Christmas Ah. Party. Boxing Day 1983. Uh. I hate that duck. I hate, I I hate that duck even more now. We'll go into that at greater length tomorrow, I'm sure. We will. Okay. 
that's it for us then. We'll be back again the same time tomorrow. Thanks very much for listening. Bye-bye. Let it rain.